Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I want to share a message with you today. I actually was going to preach something else this week. I'm only preaching about uh, three times during this series, and we're going to be passing the mic off to uh, several other uh, speakers. And then one week, we have a week where we have several speakers going to share the same week. So uh, I had a word that I was going to share, and then about a week ago, uh, the Lord just kind of started putting this story in my, in my heart. And I wanted to talk this morning about what's in the house. Everybody say, what's in the house? What's in the house? And we're taking this, this cue from our story in 2 Kings chapter 4. So if you got a Bible, you can open it up or you can turn it on or you can open up your Overflow app and get in to this story with us today. And it's 2 Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor, (laughs) he revered the Lord, but he wasn't so good with his finances, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Now, there was permission in the law at this time to where if if you had debts, then people would come and get... basically hire you, but not by your choice, but but basically you can work off your debt. So here's this woman who's a widow who has two sons that are about to be sold into slavery to pay off for the debts that her husband left. (laughs) So Elisha replied to her. Now, now there is some good news about this, this, this man that died. He did do some things right. He didn't do everything right, but he did do some things right. He, he served the Lord, and he was a part of this group of prophets. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the, a lot of times we just focus on one prophet, but there were actually companies. There were like prophetic schools happening where there would be like a key prophet like Elijah or Elisha, and they would have these guys that followed them around, and they were learning from them. So it wasn't just like there was only one prophet. There were like these companies or these groups of prophets. Now, this man was a part of one these schools, if you will, of prophets. He was a disciple of Elisha, but now he had died leaving debt behind. So it says this, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all. There's nothing in my house. Well, except a little oil. And Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbor's for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars. And and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, there is no jar left. Then, everybody say then. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told the man of God, she said. Then then she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay off your debts. You and your son can live, sons can live on what's left. Here's a woman who's in despair, 
Come on. Not just a widow, but now a single mom raising a couple of boys, struggling for ends meet. All that she has in her house is so insignificant that she kind of forgot that she had it. Now, she, she, she considered what she had, this little bit of oil, nothing, because it was so insignificant. Now, if you understand poverty, if you've ever been at the bottom of the barrel, you, you know what you have. And what she had, she considered nothing. So she's struggling with grief. She's struggling with fear that she's going to lose her sons. She's, she's struggling with fear. Is she going to be able to survive? Is she going to be homeless? What's her life going to look like? She's emotionally and financially broke. She's lost all hope. In her estimation, she has nothing. But but she has history with a man of God. She has history with the man of God, and she knows that God is a good provider. She has connections. How many know it is important to have connections? It's not always about what you have. Sometimes it's about who you know. And she knows the right person. She knows the man of God. How many know that your nothing becomes something when it's given to God? And so she had nothing in her estimation. What she observed is she had nothing, but your nothing becomes something when it's given to God. And in her desperation, she finds a directive. And the directive starts with a conversation. What's in the house? What is in your possession? What do we have to work with here, woman? She was kind of like, I've got nothing to eat. Leslie and I were talking about this yesterday. Have you ever said that? Pantry full of nothing to eat. A closet full of nothing to wear. A city full of nothing to do. Right? I've got nothing. This is her estimation. This is her declaration. How many know that God is not limited by your what? He's not limited by your lack thereof. He's not limited by your nothing. Because what you may call nothing, God will call something. See, your nothing becomes something when it's given to God. So, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house. What is in your possession? What is within your reach? What do you have? What is in the house? See, it's never been about what we wish we had or what we hope that God would give us. It's always been about what's in the house. It's always been about what do you always possess? What's in the house? It's easy to focus on our lack, but I want to remind you for just a few moments of what is in your possession, beloved. If you're a child of God, you have a lot. And we focus on our lack. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about 
what's in your house. If you've given your life to Jesus, now I'm not talking about like you call yourself a Christian because you were raised in church or you come to church once a Sunday and you don't have a lifestyle. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you sincerely have a legit relationship with Jesus. You have trusted him with your life. Your life is no longer your own. You belong to Jesus. If that is the case, now if it's not the case, we can fix that today. But if it is the case, I want to remind you of a few things. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, By his divine power, not your power, by his divine power, God is giving us everything we need for a godly life. Past tense. He's already given, if, if I had this, I would be more godly. If I had the right relationship, I'd be more godly. If I had a better pastor, I'd be more godly. You think that's funny, but people say that. If I had the right spouse, if my husband would do this, my wife would do that, my kids would quit behaving, maybe those things would line up if. <laughs> yeah. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received this, received this, received this. We haven't earned it. We have received all of this by coming to know him. How did you receive it? Just, just by coming to, to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Not your glorious, marvelous excellence. His. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. See, he's given you great and precious promises not because you've been glorious and excellent but because he's been glorious and excellent, because he's marvelous. It's all about him. It's all about his goodness. See, you got promises not because you've been good, not because you deserve them, but because God is good. You have grace. You, you have heaven. You have Jesus. Not because you were good. You won't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because God's good, because he's paved away, because your goodness is like filthy rags. There's none good. In God's estimation, there's none good. Oh, he's such a good person. God wouldn't send good. There's no good people. No, no good people. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. Whoa. <laughs> Check that out. God won't share his glory with anybody, but you can share in his divine nature. Scary. Scary good. Good scary. To share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by humans, human desires. So what's in the house? Well, Jesus. Jesus is in the house. If I've, if I've come to him, if I've received him, you have Jesus. If you've received him, you have Jesus. And you have what Jesus had. Whoa. First of all, you had the position he has, the Son of God. You are a Son of God. John chapter 1, he gives you the power, the right, the exousia to become children of God, those who believe in him, those who receive him. You weren't born a child of God, but you were adopted as one. 
We're not all children of God. I know the world will say, we're just all God's children. No, we ain't. <laughs> we're all God's enemies until we believe and receive Jesus. And now we're in on it. Now we're in on the family. We have the position he has because we are his children. Galatians 4, 6. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call Abba Father, Papa, Daddy. We have the position he has as sons. We have the presence he carried. Do you know that you carry the presence that Jesus had when he walked the earth? The presence of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, the wind of the dead body, Jesus, and rose him from the dead. That is the same Spirit that dwells in you. That's what's in the house. You got Jesus. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not just coming on you like we had in the Old Testament, but abiding in you, remaining, living inside of you. The presence of God. Oh, the, we come into church, we're like, oh, the presence is so good. It is. We love it. But did you know that you can experience that all the time? I, I heard an illustration uh, th this way. It says that we should treat the Holy Spirit like a dove that rests on our shoulder. How, how would you act? How would you live if you had a dove that, that rested on your shoulder? How would you live? Probably differently. <laughs> you would live aware. The presence of God through the Holy Spirit rests in you. The same Spirit will give life, as it continues in Romans, will give life to your mortal body. That's really helpful on bad days. So the presence dictates my day, not my day dictates the presence. He dwells. He lives in me. So we have the position he has. We're sons. We have the presence he carried, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have the power he possessed that came from the Spirit. Remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 28? He said, all power has been given to me, therefore go. In other words, you're following me. You're emulating me. You have the same power that I have. Go do what I've been doing. We're probably going to do a series next year talking about uh, the, the upper room discourse where Jesus talks about all that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for, you know, little fuzzies on the back of your neck. Oh, the Holy, Holy Spirit, right? Or Stranger Things, right? It's not just the... I mean, you can go to a Celine Dion concert and get chills on the back of your neck. I'm talking about something that's way more powerful than that. Someone who's more powerful than that. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Remember in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told the church, the people, his boys, what did he say? He says, you got the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving them to you. You have the authority. You get, if, if you have the keys to my car, you have the authority to drive it. Guess who drives the kingdom of God? The king. Well, he's in charge of the kingdom, but you got the keys. You're in the driver's seat. So the power he possessed is now in us. So that's what's in your house. You have Jesus. You have all that Jesus had, the position he has, the presence he carried, the power he possessed. And you have this. It says in Romans chapter uh, 12, it says that you have a measure of faith. Right? Some are like, oh, man, they got faith and move mountain. Right? We've read about that. We've talked about that. You've got faith. I've got faith. He's got so much faith. But you've got a measure of faith. 
It might just be, Jesus said, if you just have enough faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain, move, and be cast into the sea, and it'll move for you. Just a little bit of faith. So you might just have a little bit of faith, but as we're learning that you're nothing, come on, becomes something when it's given to God. So what are you doing with your faith? What are you doing with the power that you possess? Because some days it feels like nothing. We all want increase. We all want to see the little bit of oil that we have, what's in the house, we want to see it increase. We want to see more oil. We want to see more manifestation. I know that I have the power of the Holy Spirit, but I want to see that increased. Listen, you can't, you can't have, you have as much Jesus right now as you need. Let, let's just get that straight. You don't become more of a child of God. Your position doesn't change. But listen, you're, 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 the power for you to function does change. Because some of you aren't functioning at the level you need to function at. You need increase. An increase is contingent upon following the directive. So let's talk about increasing what's in the house. You know what's interesting? She wanted money, but she had oil. See, the answer's in the oil. The answer's always in the oil. The answer is in the oil. So if all you have is oil, it's better to have oil than money. It's better to have oil than security. It's better to just have a little bit of oil. Even what you might consider insignificant. Maybe it's just enough oil to get you through the end of the week. Or the end of the day. You may consider it nothing. But nothing becomes something when it's given to God. And your oil can increase to not only provide for you for the rest of this year, but to pay off your debts, to cover your lack, and then to project you into the future and to provide for you for the rest of your life. What are you doing with what's in the house? So how do we bring increase? How do we see it? Well, number one, you've got to surrender control. You got to give up to go up. You got to give up to grow up. <laughs> Some people had to learn that the hard way. See, you'll never have God's best doing things your way. I want God to bless everything that I'm doing. I, I, listen, you were not going to experience God's bless best by doing things your way. God has a directive. There's a way that God works. There's a way the oil flows. And you've got to pour it that way. And if you don't do it God's way, you can't expect God to bless it. It's not saying that it might not be successful in the world's eyes. But if you want God's blessing, you need to do it God's way. There is a kingdom directive. And see, what I love about this story is that God sees value in what we deem as insignificant. See, some of you have a gift in your life, and you think it's insignificant for God. It's nothing. But nothing becomes something when it's given to God. What are you doing with your gift? 
Some of you are like, well, I don't have much time. What are you doing with the time that you do have? See, we all have the same amount of time. When people say, I don't have time, I'm like, what did you do with it? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because we both started the day out with the same amount of time. What did you do with your time? The other thing is this. Many times we view what is significant, <laughs> and God sees it as insignificant. Now, God cares. We, we know. We say this a lot, right? God cares about what you care about. Absolutely, he does. But listen, he might not care as much about it as you care about it. You put a lot more emphasis on certain things than God puts emphasis on. Doesn't mean that it's not important to him. It probably is. But there are some things that, you, that are too important to you. God's saying, will you surrender what's so important to you? We hold on so tight to what we have that's not that great. I mean, that would be the poverty mindset that this woman would have. No, it's just a little bit of oil, and I'm not going to get rid of it. Because I've known people that live their life like that. I've only got this much left. No, you can't have it. No, I won't follow the directive. I just want you to say something, and there'll be oil there tomorrow. But God ain't looking for robots. He's looking for partners. He's looking for people that will participate. Remember this? Remember this story in, in, in uh, John chapter 6, verse 5? Jesus, Jesus didn't tell a story. Jesus gives us a story, an illustration of a boy who shows up at a party where Jesus is having a meeting. of this. I, I like to say a party because there's a party everywhere Jesus went. There's like 5,000 people there. And the peop, Jesus has been teaching a little while, and the people are getting hungry. You guys have been there. Right? On Sundays, you're like, I'm getting hungry. And so Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and like, hey, everybody's complaining. I mean, what you're teaching is really good. It's a really good word, Jesus. We love it. It's, it's so good. It's so good. But the people are hungry. And if you don't feed them, they're going to start leaving. <laughs> and what did Jesus say? He said, well, find what you can get. And there was a little boy that day that showed up. His mama packed his lunch. And he had, he had uh, five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. A lot of carbs. <laughs> he wasn't doing keto. Sorry to break it to you. It was probably gluten-free, but. So he's like, what do we got? They said, well, <laughs> we kind of surveyed the crowd a little bit, kind of looked around, kind of scoped out the land, and so all that we can find is this little boy has a sack of lunch. He's like, it's too fish. Jesus said, all right, we'll just go ahead and pass it out. Remember? They pass out the bread. They pass out the fish. And it says that at the end of the passing out, they had more than they started with. That's kingdom economics. <laughs> because nothing becomes something when it's given to God. So are you willing to surrender control? I know that was your lunch, but are you willing to give your lunch up to Jesus? I know that was just your oil. You've been around poverty before, man. People hold on so hard. I have that mindset sometimes. If I let it go, I won't have anything. I can't afford. And sometimes that's financially. Sometimes that's mentally. Sometimes that's emotionally. I can't afford that. I don't have the emotional capacity for that. I don't have the mental capacity to that. I can't say yes to that because I, I've got too much going on. So when I'm, pre when I'm presented to take over a mission in Haiti, 
which is way bigger than anything I could have dreamed of, something I never even had the heart for when it's presented to me. I go, I don't think I have the money. Definitely don't have the money. Definitely don't have the time. Don't really even have the quote-unquote calling for it. But the need is there. Okay. Surrender what I have. Number one, surrendered control. Number two, go around and ask. (laughs) Go around and ask. See, one of the cool things about Scripture is it's filled. If you you can't read, people that that say it's just you and Jesus, they haven't read the Bible. (laughs) Or they've ignored a great deal of it. You know, two-thirds of your New Testament was written towards people that were written for people that were doing community together. (laughs) Right? And the rest of it's history. Full, full of seeking godly counsel all over the Bible. Let me give you some advice. Never make a major decision without seeking godly counsel. Godly counsel. Let's put that word there, godly counsel. There's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. You want to be foolish? Don't ever get counsel. Do it your way. Psalm 133 talks a little bit about oil. One of my favorite passages, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is, the precious, is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew of Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing. One translation says this, the Lord has commanded his blessing. You know that God commands blessing where there's unity, where people come together. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. We, lo- we love these, these stories in, in, in the Old Testament. We're reading one today about these quote-unquote, heroes of the faith. Did you know that normally, first of all, the heroes that we talk about in the Bible are all villains? Study their life. Look how, you know why? Because the hero in the story of Scripture is Jesus. The hero in all of Scripture is God. God's the hero of our story. He doesn't need you to be a hero. Are you significant? Absolutely. But he doesn't need you to be a hero. He doesn't need you to be the Lone Ranger. Are you significant? Absolutely, in his plan. But he's the hero. He's the one that gets the final glory. See, your significance will be found in the family that you're a part of. And this is what we see in this narrative. We see the woman finds significance. She finds her capacity in the community that she lives in. Sometimes what you need is in your neighbor's house. Sometimes what you need is in the person that sits next to you in church on Sunday. But some of you are so consumed with your life that you haven't developed the relationships. What's going to happen is one of these days you're going to need a container. And if you don't have the relationship built right now, then those containers are not going to be available to you. My dad has a 
And, and listen, sometimes, sometimes we, we get in this mindset, and we talk about this a lot, where we want to be projected. We want to have everybody have this idea that we're so spiritual or that we got it all together or we're independent or we're strong. And we want people to have this mindset about us. And most of the time, it's fake. We're putting on. We're performing. We want people to think this. We want them to have this opinion about me. My dad tells me this a lot. He says, son, don't suffer in silence. You've got to be willing to ask for help. You've got to be willing to ask for jars. Are you willing to go out because what you need might be in somebody else's house? And you need to get it into yours. So if we're going to increase what's in our house, we've got to surrender control. We've got to go around and ask. And number three, we've got to start pouring. Start pouring. Are you pouring? What are you pouring? Are you always seeking affirmation in what you're pouring? Nothing wrong with seeking affirmation, but are you doing it the right way? Are you going to somebody and saying, listen, I need some encouragement. That's how you get affirmation. You know what you get whenever you seek affirmation by dropping little statements and trying to get it subtly? You know what you get? People that are annoyed with you. You get annoying. Am I the only one that thinks that people that do that are annoying? I'm being real with you. I'm being, I need help. Don't suffer in silence. I mean, I am a person who loves affirmation. I mean, I, I'm like, oh, that's like my thing. I, I need it. I need it. I need it. And, and sometimes I get into this thing where I, where I say things, where I'm really saying, well, what do you think about me? Tell me something great about me. It's annoying. So you're like, yeah, I know. You are annoying sometimes. But start pouring. What, what are you pouring? Are you complaining about your life? That is not oil being poured out of you. That is flesh being poured out of you. Listen, it's easy to focus on our lack, which we talked about, but it's also easy to focus on our win. What my life looks like when, then I'll start pouring. When I have more money, when I have more time, when I have more energy, when I get a promotion, when I get settled in, when I get married, when I have kids, when I get... so. All of these wins, then I'll start pouring, and the oil's never there. Because the oil comes when you start pouring. You have a little bit. Are you willing to pour it? You know when your capacity grows? I, I just need a greater capacity. You know when your capacity grows? When you start pouring. Not, I grow my capacity, then I pour. Remember, Jesus talks about the wineskins. The wineskin expands when it's being poured into. Use what you got now. What are you doing with the power that you received? What are you doing with the experience you received? You got prayer last week. What did you do with that? 
You went to camp last week. No campers. What did you do with that? That's what I'll ask my kids when they go to Preteen Impact this week. What are you going to do with it? I love it. I'm glad you got wrecked. Woo! What are you going to do with it? Because that can increase tomorrow if you'll pour it out today. See, her flask became a fountain. Her flask became a fountain. Like a fountain of living water, always flowing, yet always full. We're going to do a series. The next series we do is going to be called Rivers. John 7, 38. If you believe in me, rivers will pour out of you. You have a river, a resource river pouring out of you. This is kind of a, a prequel to that series. But let me, let me suggest this, because this is what we do. Well, I just need to steward my time. You do. You need to rest. I get it. You need to steward your money. Yes, you need to have all those systems in place. Absolutely. But most people that are so focused on that stuff, they don't ever give anything away. They're just consumers. Let me say this. If you are not pouring out, you are not stewarding well. If you are not pouring out, you are not stewarding well. If you're not generous, you're not stewarding well. If, you, if you've got, let's, just, let's talk about the economic of money, because that's really not what we're talking about today, but it's across the board. Let's talk about money. If you have in your budget to pay all your bills off and have money to set aside for savings, and you've done that, and you follow that to a dot and a tittle or whatever you want to call it, you followed that budget really closely, and you, are, you do not consider generosity in there, you have not stewarded well. You have not managed your money well. If with your time, you have not set aside some time to pour out to other people, you have not stewarded your time well. If you have not used some of your energy to invest in the kingdom of God, then you are not stewarding your energy well. And no wonder you're burned out. No wonder you feel exhausted all the time. Or you do those things and all you do is complain about how much you give. What God put inside of you won't run out. Will you get this, beloved? And the more you pour, the more you have. First John chapter 2:27, as for you, the anointing that you receive from him remains. It abides. So this is what we need to do. I need something to pour my nothing into. Can I just find something? Is there something that I could pour? See, I, I reached out to my friends this week. I reached out to my friends yesterday, and I said, I need some capacity to pour into. Will you bring some capacity? Will you, will you have something that I could, some of y'all have, have something. Is there anything in the house? What, what's in the house that I can pour into? Can I, can I just pour my oil in there? Can I just pour my oil out? You, guess what? As I'm pouring, it never runs out. As I'm pouring it, it never runs out. It just, it just never runs out. Why? Because the anointing I received remains in me, but it's really big. It's a huge thing. I mean, it's like crazy. My nothing becomes something when I give it to God. It wasn't like she filled up a couple of little coffee cups. 
Give me something. And this is the way we need to be. What can I do? Where can I give? Where can I invest? Who can I invest to? What can I give away? Who can I be a blessing to? Beloved, this is the mission of your life. This is what we say. When we say that God is in charge of the product, we are in charge of the distribution. This is what we're talking about. We are pouring the oil. We're just letting it pour out of my life, understanding that God is good. He is faithful. And I'm going to just steward well, and I'm just going to give it all away. And at the end of the day, if I'm burned out, it's on him. It's not on me. When you won't burn out, and let me tell you, you won't run out. See, reaping and sowing is kingdom economics. And guess what happens first? Sowing. You got to sow before you can reap. And some of you think, I'll sow after I reap, but it don't work that way. In the kingdom of God, it don't work that way. You got you to give to get. The only time the oil stops flowing is when it doesn't have somewhere to go. Where are you pouring? See, our capacity to pour is contingent upon our willingness to pour. See, it's never a resource issue. It's a willingness issue. It's always a willingness. It's always in your yes. It might be small. In your eyes, it might be nothing. But your nothing becomes something when it's given to God. We stand. Now listen, the last thing I want you to feel today, the very last thing, not even the last thing, what I never want you to feel is condemned. But what I do want you to feel is challenged. What I do want you to feel is inspired to say, you know what, I'll start pouring. I'll start resourcing what's in my house. And we can get into the practice of that. I don't think I need to. I think you know. And I want to pray Ephesians chapter 3 over you. I just want you to just set your affections, set your heart on the Lord right now in this moment. Ephesians chapter 3. Some of you can just close your eyes. You don't have to read the verse unless you're really analytical, then you can do that. I pray that out of His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust Him, as you give it to Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep, how 
wide his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God.